Hey everybody, this is Heidi St. John. It is Wednesday, May 17th. Welcome to the Busy Mom Podcast. Today is part two of an interview that I've been doing with my friends Mark and Jill Savage. We're talking about their new book, No More Perfect Marriages. Stick around, you guys are gonna be encouraged. All right, so we're here on day two of an interview with uh, Mark and Jill Savage. The Savages, in case you guys haven't heard of them, they've been all over the place, right? So Mark's, Mark has been in uh, ministry for a long time, and Jill has also. They've been on the radio um, on Moody. They've been uh, building relationships with Gary Chapman. They've been they've done uh, Chris Fabry Live and Focus on the Family. In fact, they're on Focus on the Family today, so we're kind of double dipping a little bit. Uh, Jill has authored nine books together, and she and, and her husband, Mark, have authored two books, Living With Less, So Your Family Has More, and No More Perfect Marriages. They have five young adult children, and they are the grandparents of three. The Savages make their home in Normal, Illinois, and you guys can find them online at jillsavage.org. I will link back to all things Savage related today at the show notes. So if you're curious about their, their new book, No More Perfect Marriages, or you want to find out about Normal Perfect Date Night, um, head on over to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast, or if you're listening to this on Stitcher or Overcast or BeanPod or any one of the other podcast apps, uh, click on the show notes today and all these links will show up for you. So Mark and Jill, welcome back to the podcast. Yes. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thanks for coming. I am just thrilled for you guys to be sharing such a personal story with such boldness and such clarity to uh, to readers and to listeners who have the privilege of, of hearing you and hearing your story, because I know that God is going to use it to bring healing. And that's really, that's what he does, right? He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And no yes. one has experienced that more than the two of you. Right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. It's been a huge healing process. Well, yep. I think it's encouraging because I think we see, I mean, all you got to do is write is walk through the checkout line at Walmart, you know, or pick up People Magazine, and you can see yep. how many marriages don't make it. And it's encouraging yep. to hear someone talk about a marriage that was in a legitimate crisis and turn to the Lord for healing. And one of the things that you've written about in your book, which is why I'm so excited to share it with with listeners, and I know... Uh, that you're going to be that you're going to bring healing to a lot of people is that you have identified what you call seven slow fades, and we don't have time to talk about all of them today, which is just another reason for people to go out and get your book. But I, I'm wondering if you can just give us like what are your three top things that uh, people? First of all, what do you call a slow fade? How would you guys define? a slow fade. Right. Well, here's what we, we discovered in, in, uh, it was, we, we did after, um, Mark came back home after the affair and, uh, we were in counseling every week for 18 months. And, um, it was during that 18 month season that we began to really take a look at what had happened in our marriage. And looking back, it wasn't the big things that had made a difference because you see, we were doing a lot of the right things. We were taking date nights. We were going away, just the two of us. We were speaking each other's love languages. And so in the midst of all that intentionality, how in the world did infidelity become a part of our story? Well, what we realized is it wasn't the big things that were making a difference. It was the little things, things that were simmering under the surface. They were unnoticed. They were unattended to. And those unknowns, actually became what what caused an unraveling in our marriage. And, you know, you don't notice um, when your heart, let's just say you have a situation that happens 
hands and it kind of pulls your heart away from your spouse. Well, it's one centimeter, no big deal. And then two centimeters, still no big deal. A third time, three centimeters, excuse me. A third time, three centimeters, no big deal. But when those centimeters become inches and the inches become feet and the feet become miles, that's when all of a sudden you realize that these fades have been doing a number. And so that's why we really wanted, we identified seven that did a number on our marriage and and we really wanted Uh, You know, we wrote No More Perfect Marriages for every marriage, not just for marriages in crisis, because we wanted couples who are in a great place to recognize it, to know about the fades and to recognize them and stop them in their tracks before uh, they get to be inches and feet and miles. Yeah, especially when you're talking to women who think, "Ah, I got this all together. It's totally cool. And really, it it ends up being, and we I talk about this a lot on the road, even with our children and our parenting, it's the little things that end up being the big things. And what you're saying is, yeah. it, the same thing is true in marriage. It's the little things, those little things that we're not noticing that end up being the big things. Yes, right. it's exactly right. And so we need to know that they're there. And uh, that's really become, you know, as we're doing interviews like this, as we wrote the book, um, we're doing our own No More Perfect Marriages uh, seminars in partnership with churches. And so the more we do that, I mean, we just have a passion to make sure that couples know about the seven slow fades. And then they know about the eight God tools that will turn those fades around. Uh, right. You had asked us about um, sharing three of the fades. So we've, we've kind of got some of our, our, our favorites. So we'll share with yeah. you. Yeah. All right. Go for it. One Hit me. The, okay. One of the slow fades that I truly struggled with was unrealistic expectations. I came into marriage uh, from a, a broken family uh, without a healthy father figure. And I just had all of these expectations that marriage was going to be un- unreal in-, in a sense, you know, and I, uh, those expectations, when we wrote the book, uh, Jill wrote a list of expectations she had and mine were flavored like this. Uh, sex will be great. We'll, we'll be soulmates, but sex will be great. We'll uh, just know what each other wants or needs, and sex will be great. It was just, it was <laughs> kind of get you where I'm the going. theme there? Yeah. Yep, I see a theme. <laughs> it was interesting because when I wrote, like, what well, my expectations were going into marriage, it was like, because sex was mentioned on my list once. <laughs> I told her something was wrong with her, but, <laughs> but just for me, uh, I continued to battle with uh, huge unrealistic expectations, and they took me down a path that fueled a mirage that just, it wasn't real. And it led me to a brokenness. And I think what we need to understand is unrealistic expectations lead to disillusionment because when our expectations are unrealistic, okay, they're not going to happen. Our expectations are not going to be met because they're unrealistic. And so then we become disillusioned with whatever it is is that we have those expectations on and that disillusionment leads to discouragement and it, it, it can then separate our hearts. And that's where that slow fade starts with, um, with unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And then Jill and I also identified another slow fade uh, and that slow fade is minimizing. And what we identified was there are two types of minimizing. One that I struggle with is an 
internal minimizer, which means that I would uh, ignore things or let them go because they didn't really seem important. And yet they were important because I was pooling them uh, in my heart. And I think even deeper than that was the realization that I didn't feel they were important because I didn't believe that I was important. So it, it really, that uh, internal minimizing partnered with an internal lie that I believed that was wrong. And that came a lot from the home that you grew up in. You grew yeah. up in a pretty abusive home, yeah. um, very unsupportive. And so I think that you, that lie got planted a long time ago. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But then um, the other kind of minimizer is uh, an external minimizer. And this tended to be my uh, type of minimizing. And so um, I also grew up, I grew up actually in a, a, a wonderful family, very loving family, but we didn't do a lot with emotions. So anytime Mark would bring up something about, you know, his feelings about uh, our marriage or something else, I was quick to minimize thoughts and feelings. So I would, so an internal minimizer minimizes their own thoughts and feelings and external minimizes other people's thoughts and feelings. And quite frankly, they usually do it because they also have some internal minimizing in them. So I would minimize my own feelings because I didn't, was, wasn't raised in a family that did feeling, um, you know, we, we were um, very strong and if, if hard things happened, you bucked up and you moved on. And, um, and so I didn't realize though, how much I was squashing Mark. I didn't realize how much I was minimizing. And so we had this really ugly cycle that was going on between us. And so we really want couples to understand this slow fate of minimizing and to identify what are you more likely the internal minimizer or the external minimizer, and then begin to turn that around. You've kind of come up with an antidote to some of these that come from, that come from the word. And so they are um, what you call God tools. And we're going to, what are, so what are three of them? So you've given three of the seven of the slow fades. What are three of the seven of the tools? Well, can we do one more slow fade? Because yeah. I think this one's huge. And we actually own them. So this will be our third. Um, the slow fade of, um, of avoiding emotion. Mm. And I think this one's huge because a lot of couples deal with this. And it honestly, and you know, you would think that would be um, the issue with the man, but in our marriage, it was, it was me because my family didn't do emotion. And so I really struggled. Um, so if I, if, if something made me sad, I would go up to my bedroom and I would cry alone. And I, so I wasn't vulnerable with Mark. And what, what I didn't realize is I was communicating to Mark that I did not need him. I never intended to do that, but my slow fate of avoiding emotion was communicating that. And so I knew that I had to turn that around and um, I can remember the afternoon and this is, it leads right into our God tools. One of our God tools is, is courage. And um, I, uh, Mark was sitting in the family room. I was in the kitchen and a text came in from a friend uh, who was also walking through the same thing. We were infidelity, but her husband was not returning home. And it became evident that their marriage was going to end in divorce. And so I got this text and it just made me so sad. My heart just went out to her. So I started up the stairs to go cry in my bedroom and I caught myself and I thought, no, Jill, if you're, if the second half of your marriage is going to be different than the first half, then you're going to have to be, you're going to have to have some different responses. Mm. And so I gathered up my courage because it made me feel very vulnerable. 
and I walked into the family room and I held out the phone and I showed it to Mark. And, um, and then I burst into tears and I crawled into his lap and I, uh, I, I just bawled my eyes out. And I loved it. I, I had wanted that so for the entire marriage to, to be able to love Jill in, in her deepest need and to lead her through it. And that was, that was just a powerful moment for me. Yeah. That God to encourage is huge. Um, and, and that was one place where I had to use that. Yep. And, uh, I had to use the God tool of courage to, uh, to own my sin, to, uh, communicate my, uh, sorrow and ask forgiveness to family, friends, to, uh, many ministry partners. Uh, and then also, uh, it took huge courage to, uh, to continue to walk differently and to go against what my flesh craved or what I had thought to be, uh, true in the past. Mm-hmm. So powerful. It's so powerful. And I think what you're saying is these are ordinary things that we deal with in our lives every day. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't realize it's the little things we don't realize. You know, I love, Mark, that you said that when Jill crawled into your lap and cried, you loved it because you you had wanted to be able to be that support and encouragement and love her that way. And I think she was thinking, oh, he doesn't need this. It's one more thing for him. And you hadn't Jill hadn't learned how to uh, how to show her emotions and, you know, just, you know, buck up and, you know, pull herself up by her bootstraps. And here you're longing to love her that way. And it's powerful what happens when you communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really is very powerful, but you know, we have to be willing. Um, we have, you know, one of the things I've learned is you've got to push through awkward to get to a new normal. Right. And, uh, I would say over the last four to five years, we've, we've put ourselves in, in, in those awkward places, you know, because gosh, for 30 some years, it wasn't the way we operated, but we knew we had to, we had to do differently and we had to be intentional about our God tools. So a second God tool is compassion. That's been huge for me, the girl who grew up in more of the buck up, uh, you know, environment. So I didn't even have a lot of self-compassion. So I had to start with that. And I had to, to come to understand um, that, uh, you know, that uh, honestly, you know, sometimes uh, being a buck up person, it works well in leadership because, you know, if people don't like what you do, they, it kind of rolls off of you. No big deal. But it doesn't work so well in marriage and it doesn't work so well in mothering. And so I uh, had to had to realize that um, my tendency was to fix and not to feel. And so I had to start using my God tool of compassion. Our God is a compassionate God, and um, he wants us to learn how to be compassionate like he is. And so um, one of the first places I began to use that was uh, during the affair. And I really believe this helped me, you know, um, in keeping, it is not well with my circumstances, but it is well with my soul. It really helped me to, to stay steady. And that is I had compassion upon his lostness. And I wasn't taking it personally because I knew that it wasn't really about me. I mean, were there things that in our marriage that we needed to fix? Oh my goodness, yes. But it was a, it was a bigger picture. And I had great compassion about with Mark's uh, disillusionment with life and uh, what a difference that makes uh, when you um, you can see somebody that's hurting through compassionate eyes. Mm. 
we the last school uh, was acceptance. Uh, I had to grab hold of this tool and accept myself for who I truly was. I had to accept uh, me being a child of God, accept Father, or God as Father, uh, and trusting Him. That took courage, but I had to accept Jill. I had spent the first half of our marriage life trying to change her, and I exhausted her, and I exhausted myself and acceptance was truly freeing, letting everybody be who they are and not me trying to be God and control them. And what does that look like when you, when you flesh that out in your own lives, uh, when you say me not trying to control them, because as a recovering control freak, <laughs> I can tell you right uh. now, um, I just think, you know, what does that look like? If, if you're, you're desperate for that control, what does it look like to sort of yield? Well, one of the things that is valuable, and um, we spend quite a bit of time talking about this in the book as well, is um, is that um, is you need to reframe some of those frustrations. So you turn your frustrations into fascinations. And so um, one of the things Mark uh, did is, you know, it drove him nuts. Like uh, he's real spontaneous, and I'm real structured. Okay, mm-hmm. and so um, my structure drove him nuts. And so then, you know, he would, the old Mark would have criticized that, would have um, been ticked off about it. Uh, you know, I rain on his, on his spontaneous parade. But then the new Mark will look at it and go, you know what, Bill's structure is what makes sure that we have a hotel to stay in when we go on vacation. Jill's structure is when we land in an airport, we have a car to rent and uh, she's taking care of all of that. So it's reframing those frustrations and seeing the positive side of those. Yeah. I think Bill uh, and I are a hundred percent opposite and different in everything. And so that really drove me nuts in the past, but in the future, just continuing to reframe that and also to take my thoughts captive. Uh, that when I would start to get negative, I would immediately repent of that to the Lord and then thank him for whatever that action was because it was important for her because that's who she is. Therefore, it's important to me. I love that. Jay and I are just looking at each other, just kind of nodding and going, yeah, that's we can relate to a lot of that. I think Jay and I are different and opposite in a lot of ways, too. And I think it's really good that you said, hey, you know, why don't what why can't we look at those things that, you know, they were so endearing when we were dating. Right. And then you get married and it's like, okay, that's annoying. I just went went from endearing to annoying to aggravating. And you're saying, you know, reframe it, look at it. And so this is actually God's gift to our relationship. Because if we were both this way, or we were both, you know, we were both super planners, or we we're both really uh, spontaneous, we didn't, we'd never get anything done, or we'd never have any rest. And mm-hmm. I think they're just, uh, it's a compliment uh, to what God is doing in your life that you can see that, that those things that could be, I love what you said, Mark, just re, you know, asking the Lord to say, hey, can you just um, help me take my thoughts captive. I, I could, you know, right. I can learn from that. I think we can all learn from it. <laughs> yeah, yep. absolutely. And I, I think we, uh, every day we get opportunities to practice. That's right. <laughs> no kidding. 
That is the truth. Well, you guys are awesome. I just want to thank you so much for coming on. For those of you who are interested, and I hope that you are in checking out uh, Mark and Jill's new book, No More Perfect Marriages, I'm going to link back to it in the show notes today. We're also going to link back to nomorepperfectdatenight.com. And real quick, Jill, can you give us an overview of what that is and why people should go check it out? Yeah, well, nomoreperfectdatenight.com is um, an opportunity for you to invest in your marriage without leaving your home or hiring a sitter. So uh, what we wanted to do was design something for couples that they could easily take in together. They could learn together in the comfort of their own home. It would be short, but power packed. So it's a membership site and you become a member. And every week we send you a little bit of content for you to digest together, to talk about, to dive deep into Uh, We bring marriage experts to your living room. And so um, we're really excited. And spring registration is already closed, but we're opening it just for friends and family of uh, Focus on the Family this week and friends and family of Heidi St. John. So uh, it will only be open until uh, Thursday of this week. So that would be, um, you know, really valuable for you by the 18th. And if you miss that, that's okay. Just put yourself on the mailing list. We'll let you know the next time it's open. So this is awesome. So everybody, listen up. It's basically open until Thursday, so go check it out. You can find more information about this at nomorepperfectdatenight.com. Also, everything that you want to find out about uh, Mark and Jill and their ministry to uh, to couples and also Jill's ministry to moms in particular can be found at jillsavage.org. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a joy to, uh, to have you here. Thanks yeah. for having us. It's been great. Hey, everybody, I will be back here on Friday with another edition of the Busy Mom Podcast. I am jet-setting to uh, Sparta, New Jersey. I'm going to be flying into Newark. I leave tomorrow morning at oh dark 30 because I'm flying out of Portland, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. It's not too late to join us. You can find more information about that at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash events, and I will link back to Fearless Northeast in the show notes today. Hope to see you guys this weekend. And for everybody else, we'll see you back here at the podcast on Friday. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.